Hello there, Obi-Wan Kenobi here, and you're listening to Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast, brought to you by StarWarsDaily.com. The Force will be with you, always. Hey, Clone Wars fans, welcome back to Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast, the original podcast dedicated to the Clone Wars animated series. My name is Matt, your co-host for the evening, and joining me, as always, your creator, Michael Cohen. What's up, my brother? Hey, how's it going? Episode 92, uh, eight away, well, seven, seven episodes, and then uh, our illustrious episode 100, uh, which we yes. will be recording, broadcasting. Uh, which will be at Star Wars Celebration 6, August 23rd to 26, 2012, at the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando, Florida. It's, uh, as of right now, 171 days, 2 hours, 13 minutes, and 6 seconds to go. Uh, we're still, we, we're not sure if it's been made an official part of the uh, celebration. We're, we have applied for a fan panel, so uh, hopefully... We can hear back on that soon, but uh, yes. we will be recording there one way or another, you know. Like so, you said, if we have to go in the parking lot, yeah. I don't care. We're going to do it. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's it's going to happen. So, uh, so yeah, yes, you guys, everybody's got to get there. Yes, yes. Well, we got a lot of stuff to talk about with more Asajj Ventures coming at you today. So let's uh, jump right into the news. Sure. Welcome. I have been expecting you. This is just the beginning. This is where the fun begins. Join us or die. Our meeting was not a coincidence. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. <laughs> All right, Mike, and we go out on a little lopty neck, but we got to bring it down a little bit, a little somber, somber news, a little sad news. And it's pretty much hitting everything in Star Wars this last few days. Ralph McQuarrie, the conceptual designer for Star Wars and many other movies as well, has passed away at the age of 82. Is that right? I think uh, it was 80, 82. I, I believe so. Yeah, I think you're. Yeah, and, you know, and he had a and he had a long battle with uh, Parkinson's, I believe, as mm -hmm. well, um, which I don't know if had had anything to do with with his uh, death a few days ago, but he has been. Uh, sick with that disease for uh, quite some time but uh you know sad news and uh i mean this guy what can you say i mean he is basically he's like the trinity of of star wars mm -hmm. you know what i mean he's you got lucas and you got a lot of people say um 
of course, McQuarrie. And I think it was uh, Howard um, Rothman, I think, was the other one. So, you know, I, I, uh, I was watching the episode. It was on the DVD, um, one of the, the Empire mm-hmm. of Dreams. There you go. Empire of Dreams, that particular uh, video piece. And there was a great little section on Ralph McQuarrie, and it's about a minute long. I want everybody to take a listen to this, and we'll talk about it real quick. So uh, check out this interview with Lucas and McQuarrie. But Star Wars wouldn't be cheap. To get the Fox Board of Directors to approve the necessary budget, Lucas needed something dramatic. He hired Ralph McQuarrie, a conceptual design artist who had worked for Boeing. I'd seen some of his paintings, and I thought he was really brilliant. I said, look... I want you to do some paintings of these scenes that I've done so that the studio can get a picture of what it is I'm talking about. When I turned in the script, I had about five or six drawings that I turned in with it also to say this is what it's going to look like. He had a concept for a big spectacular visual and it didn't come across in the script. So I tried to give it scale, juxtaposing the tiny little figures with the, the great spectacular backgrounds. George would say, don't worry about how we're going to do it. We just want to see an impression of what the scenes would look like on the screen. McQuarrie's artwork won over the Fox Board of Directors, who soon approved a budget of just over $8 million. With only the first part of his Star Wars saga being made, Lucas also needed to think about the future. And you know, Mike, it's it's pretty crazy that you can you can honestly say that if it wasn't for Ralph McQuarrie mm-hmm. and what he did, you know, who knows if Star Wars would have ever been made. You know, he, here is Lucas going to the studio going, Hey, I got this thing called Star Wars, and they're like, Yeah, what are you talking about? How, you know, to them it, they don't they just don't mm-hmm. see it, you know. And he hires McQuarrie to to draw, and I remember there was what it was just a few drawings he did. It wasn't a bunch, but it was because of those drawings, and like he said in that piece there, the yeah. scale uh, that he did, and just it just I think that is what turned the tide and and got the ball rolling. And like I said, if it wasn't for him, you know who knows what would have happened to Star mm-hmm. Wars and how different would it have been, and and would had have, have it have it been made? I don't know, you know. So I know you're an artist, Mike, Mike, and. Uh, you know what do you what do you think about this? I mean, this is like I said, this is a this is a pretty big, pretty big deal in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, you know? well, I mean, it's it, it is those eight illustrations that he did that got the mm. movies made. I mean, without his contribution that early on, uh, we we wouldn't mm. have a Star Wars, or at least if we did have Star Wars, it wouldn't uh, may not have necessarily had the budget that it had. Or, or the you know the the right people because I mean it's a, when you're making movies, timing is everything and and you know if they would have taken that to Fox and and ev- as well as everybody else and everybody would have passed uh, and then you know George would have had to keep on pushing and pushing and pushing. He may have made the movie later, but it wouldn't probably have had Harrison Ford or Carrie Fisher or Mark Hamill or or you know mm-hmm. the dozens of other people uh, who who now make up such a huge part of Hollywood. And, uh, and, and there really are uh, yet yeah, like those core people that are responsible, George Lucas uh, and Ralph McQuarrie really responsible for so much of, of what mm-hmm. came afterwards. I mean, the whole, 
the whole idea of of an aesthetic to the Star Wars universe comes directly from Ralph McQuarrie's art. I mean, uh, it's it's all there, right? I mean, obviously things changed from production, uh, pre-production to into production and into post-production, but I mean, when you see that the Millennium Falcon in in that uh, illustration that he that he did, it's it, it, I mean, it's pretty close. That's that's pretty much what it ends up being, you know. And same with the with, oh, yeah. I mean, the Sand People are dead on. R2 and 3PO are really close. And we've all heard the story from Anthony Daniels at one point or another because he always tells it whenever he's in any interview situation ever uh, about mm-hmm. that illustration of C-3PO, that very first one. And when he was auditioning for the role and he almost didn't want to do it, but then he just saw this painting and and this this face looked out at the painting to him and just sort of called to him and he had to do it. And and so I mean right. like C three PO being one of the the core core characters uh, and and I mean most important parts of of I think the fabric of the Star Wars universe um, you know along with the rest of those main characters and locations and concepts um, and so without Ralph McQuarrie you wouldn't have that and without Ralph McQuarrie you also wouldn't have uh, the the two generations that have followed. Uh, that have been inspired and informed by his particular style of of concept design. I mean, there there really weren't movies before Star Wars that did what Star Wars does, and uh, I, I I think that yeah. that an artist like Ralph McQuarrie and his vision, being able to take what George Lucas put down on paper and words and turn it into these amazing visuals uh, and, and, you know, express that to an entire world without, you know, like it's got, it's got the motion, the feeling, the, the action, everything that you need from that's actually in the movies is contained in these paintings. And then, you know, the, the vehicles might not be exactly how they ended up and, and, uh, characters might not look exactly the same as they do in the films, but I mean, at, at the end of the day, the work that he did is the only reason that that stuff looks the way that it does, right? Like he he's just mm-hmm. so so crucial to it. In my opinion, there's three people who really made Star Wars what it is, and that's George Lucas's writing, John Williams' music. And then Music, yeah, Ralph McQuarrie's art. So, yeah. like, those are the three elements that all come together, uh, and and really, like, I mean, the words laid the foundation for the art. The art laid the foundation for all of the effects, and then that allowed John Williams to come in and just see this stuff and go, like, well, this is the music that goes with this, right? And so you end up with this amazing, powerful combination, and that's what movie making is about. And without I mean, I like without Ralph McQuarrie, it, it, it's it's kind of unimaginable what Star Wars would be. We wouldn't be doing this right now, I don't think, if you didn't have an artist like Ralph McQuarrie putting his stamp mm-hmm. on those first three films. And I mean, his stamp is also on the Clone Wars because so much of his unused concept design pops up every now and then in in the Clone oh, Wars. Yeah. Uh, 
in just, you know, dozens of places, whether it's uh, the prototype Y-Wings are, are more directly translated from his original art. Uh, the the Z95 Headhunter, which we've now seen in, in the... Or I think they, they use Z85 technically. But that design for the Z95 or the Z85 is definitely more reminiscent of the more of the rounded sort of agile looking x-wings that he illustrated right it's kind of got that more bulbous look to it rather than those squared off edges and that like that mm-hmm. stuff is is uh unmistakable in the clone wars um and if you if you pop open the the art of clone wars book you'll see all sorts of notes where it's like you know we took this concept art and we just sort of went from there and you know we didn't even really need to do anything we just went okay let's make those textures and make it that shape and you know so uh even even now his legacy is still coming to life on the screen so yeah and i think like you said um another tribute to him and what he did was Look at the look at the the action figure market and the mm-hmm. statue market. They're coming out with products that were Ralph McQuarrie's designs that didn't necessarily get used or got mm-hmm. changed. You know, and it's like what better tribute than that? And there's been a big outpouring on on Twitter and Facebook and everybody. A lot of artists and stuff were yeah. laying in on on the on his. You know how much of an influence he was to a lot of people. So like I said earlier, you know, it's like. Who knows what would happen? You know, you go to these studio execs, and you know all they see is dollar signs. And they want something that's going to look right and, and going to make a lot of money. And uh, George didn't have anything until McCory came along and, and gave life to it. And man, you just—that's just going to be one of those stories that you always talk about when you talk about yeah. McCory, and you know just that beginning section there. So, um, but yeah, like I said, just um, not necessarily like sudden or anything like that you know we, uh, he was obviously not doing as well as with the uh with the i think it was parkinson's yeah it was parkinson's had, but, um, that that is what he eventually okay. did die from complications relating to it to okay. parkinson's so yeah yeah but a sad day you know for star wars fans and it was just neat to see that um especially nowadays twitter is like one of the big things yeah. you go to and to see that he he was trending on Twitter was was kind of a nice little um, a nice little thing you know for for us fans who um, didn't didn't yeah. know him but definitely were affected by it. Well, you know, I mean, this is this is sort of a, a sign of uh, time moving forward, whether we want it to or not. I mean, uh, Yoda has the line in uh, in Return of the Jedi: "Twilight is upon me, and soon night must fall." And it's like that's. That's what what it is, right? Like th- this generation that created Star Wars, uh, there's been three, some would maybe even say four generations since then uh, that have been influenced by these movies, and and it's at this point that I think we're going to start to see, <laughs> you know, we're going to start to see yeah. these legends, uh, the the old republic, if you will, of filmmaking start to. Uh, start to fade away and so it's 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 definitely i think it's a big deal because this is this is an artist who's responsible for an aesthetic that has been carried over ripped off however you want to say it uh in so many different ways 
uh, and influenced so many different things since his original work. Um, and not just in Star Wars, because, I mean, you've also got Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh, E.T., he designed the, the, the ship from E.T., uh, he won an Academy Award for his conceptual art on in, in the movie Cocoon. Uh, Batteries Not Included, which I think most people probably would overlook. But then if you really look at the designs of those characters from the movie Batteries Not Included, which our younger listeners are not going to be familiar with, I guarantee. Uh, that's It's a very yeah. uh, 80s movie. But that being said... If you don't know what I'm talking about when I say the movie Batteries Not Included, it's on Blu-ray. Go to Walmart. I guarantee you, you will find it there in in like <laughs> the older bands. movies. Yeah, and it's probably less than $10. And it's like the best $10 that you'll spend. Another good movie for that is The Last Starfighter, which, like I was saying, all these movies that came after and just sort of ripped on this aesthetic that he created of of the the used science fiction future right and and uh, you know the last starfighter is a perfect example of that the 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 concept and design for that movie uh is specifically hearkening to star wars um and to the work that ralph mccrory did and and so there's so many places that we can see his influence as an artist and just speaking as as an artist myself that is the best thing that you can achieve is is not so much to have your art be so well known that you know everybody knows who you are you know like a da vinci or a michelangelo or any of the the, the uh, artists of the renaissance or or you know picasso or anything like that who are known for their specific pieces of art but for influencing an entire generation and and some people would say like an entire genre of art uh the 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 concept art world is so dense with amazing talent nowadays and all you got to do is go to chapters and take a look in the movie section and and see all of the amazing art books that come out every year i mean i'm a collector of art books so you know, you, you just see all of these things, all of these different movies, and uh, and in each and every one of them, I guarantee you can pick out five or six things that are very clearly uh, representative of the influence that Ralph McQuarrie had on an industry and and you know just an entire me- medium. You know, uh, so mm. so to have him pass away is I. Uh, it's a huge loss, uh, just from from a perspective of of a talent that that I don't think that that the world will ever see again. And it it doesn't get celebrated when it's a when it's a, a graphic artist or or a, a sort of a commercial artist um, because mm-hmm. there's something crass about it because you're 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 not creating art for the sake of art. You're creating art, you know, for a movie or for action figures or for uh, a video game or something like that. And, and I think that uh, unless you're, you're really keyed into those industries or like a fan of movies or video games, uh, the general public overlooks these pieces of art as just, you know, Oh yeah, 
yeah, that was the concept art. Well, they needed that in order to do all of that special effects stuff that they do. So whatever, you know, and like they just sort of toss it aside as as just, you know, well, it's just it's it's part of the movie industry. So it's entertainment, which means it's fluff, which means it's not worth anything. But you look at at like we mentioned, the the C three PO and R two D two painting, one of the first ones that was done for for Star Wars, or one of my favorite pieces of art of all time, that original concept art of Luke and Vader fighting on that derelict space oh, station, yeah. where you don't even see Luke's mm-hmm. face, all you just see him from behind, and he's got that that sort of white yellow lightsaber and that amazing, imposing, unbelievably evocative image of darth vader that he's just like he's he's machine he's a little bit of man there's some demon in there there's a little bit of a ghost he's a samurai he's a robot like it it just communicates every single piece of that character in an instant before we even get to know him you know it's it's got that the tragedy keyed in there to this character. And we don't even like, you don't even know anything about him yet. You just see this piece of art and you see this struggle and conflict between these two characters. And you know, there's something going on there, whether you've seen star Wars or not, you know, like it's just, it's so incredibly deep. And to me, like that piece of art is just as powerful as, as any, Anything that's hanging in, you know, like the 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 Louvre in France, or you know, the 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 uh, all of the muse- art museums all over the world, like in New York and Los Angeles and everywhere that are that these big deals and and uh, that that everybody will praise for, you know, a hundred years from now and you know a hundred years ago and everything and and these pieces of art that Ralph McQuarrie is responsible for. They're so hidden behind everything else that Star Wars is, and because they're associated with Star Wars, it just kind of gets tossed aside, and and it's it's such a shame. And I don't know, it's a, it's always that thing of you know, once an artist dies, then all of a sudden they get the uh, the appreciation that they deserved that they never got when they were alive, and uh, it it's a shame when that happens, but at the same time. I, you can only hope that that's what's going to happen for Ralph McQuarrie, that, that maybe now uh, he'll get a little bit more of that that uh, recognition in the general public from everybody, you know, not just from us mm. Star Wars fans. Because I, I saw his art in person at Star Wars Celebration uh, two years ago in 2010. They had an exhibition of his art at the show. And I... Uh, Again, as an artist, as someone who who wanted to be a conceptual artist in film, I to see that stuff in person was was one of the highlights of that entire weekend for me. Um, yeah, because you could just you know you you saw the paper and graphite that he hmm. laid down. You know, like that, like that was the actual piece of history that was, you know, the first sketch of an X-Wing fighter or the first sketch of the Millennium Falcon. And, and to see that stuff 
in person was just, it was totally inspiring. It was uh, awesome in the truest sense of the word. And, uh, and hopefully, hopefully somebody put something together to show that to the world, to show everybody that, that this art is so much more than just concept art, you know, because I think we sort of throw that, right. that term out there and we know what that means, but to another person, it's like, oh, well, it's concept art, you know, it's a concept mm -hmm. that was turned into a movie and it's like, it, but it's not just concept art. It's, it's art. Like it's just straight up art in, mm -hmm. in the truest form. And it's, it's some of the best art that, that I think the, the planet will ever see. And, you know, it's, it's a shame uh, that, that it doesn't get the recognition that it deserves uh, outside of our community. But maybe that's something that, that we as fans need to sort of make a choice and uh, and start showing that off to people, you know. I mm -hmm. I don't know. I, th there's kind of the pop yeah. culture is is a is a big thing right now, and and you know like the nerd culture and geek culture, and so this stuff is becoming more mainstream. And maybe now is the time that somebody puts together an art show specifically devoted to Ralph McQuarrie, and whether that's all of his stuff going into a gallery to be, sh to be shown or whether it's uh, a selection of his stuff and then a selection of artists that he have been inspired by him um, to, to do their own stuff or to do other star Wars or Indiana Jones or, uh, you know, close encounters uh, artwork. I, uh, you know, like it, it would, I think it would just be amazing to, to have something like that come out of this, to come out of such a, such a huge loss. You know, I, this is, like I said earlier, this is one of the, the three people who's really responsible for us having the Star Wars films be what they are. Uh, and yeah, right. and yeah, it's it's a it's a huge loss for our entire community. Yeah. And, and I, Star Wars Celebration this coming summer, I think it will be a really great chance for uh, for somebody, for someone, whether that's someone at Lucasfilm or one of the fans or, you know, uh, a portion of the fan community come together and really recognize that in our own community. And I'm sure that'll happen. I don't even need to, to put that out there. Uh, I'm sure that somebody is already, you know, knee deep, uh, working towards a goal like that. Uh, because I'll, I mean, his stuff was at the, at the last, uh, the last show. So, um, I'm sure that there yeah. are probably already plans to have some Ralph McQuarrie art there. So, so, so yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, I'm, sure, I'm sure that that'll happen within our own community, and yet another reason to be a Star Wars celebration. But uh, but yeah, if I don't know if if all of us, you know, you and me and all of the listeners could just you know take a second out of your day when you're talking about movies or Star Wars or whatever with your friends, just point that out. You know, bring it up on your iPhone, show them some of his art. And uh, and sort of get that get that out there so that his legacy is is uh, remembered for what it is, not just for being silly cartoon art for a silly kids movie, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and and it was neat that uh, you know, of course, George Lucas uh, made a statement, and it's like you said, you know, it's uh, those, those big three guys, three three or four guys that put this on out of the. Put this on the map, you know, and it's funny how how Lucas says, you know, um, he 
inspired. He propelled the cast and the crew yeah. with his art, you know. And and he would always, he would he says in his little um, his little piece here that he could always point to one of Ralph's illustrations if he couldn't find the words to say something. He would just say point at and go, do yeah. it like that. Just how we do it. So that's kind of a that's kind of a cool tribute. And 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 you were talking about the the Luke and the Darth Vader, that iconic fo- uh, yeah. painting of those two fighting. And and I have that piece. It's a, a Cotabuquia statues. I have both of those, and it's one of my favorite pieces that I have uh, in my collection. And that's sitting on the wall over there right now. So it's a fantastic piece. And uh, like I said, he will be uh, mm-hmm. missed. Great, great loss. So, in, in lieu of that, I think um, that is all we're going to do as far as news today. Uh, we just wanted to mention that and kind of talk about him and kind of give it his own, kind of leave it just with Ralph as far as the news mm-hmm. this time. And uh, we will we will just uh, kick it right to the recap after just a few minutes of silence for Ralph McQuarrie. A disturbance in the force, Barry. Is it possible to learn this power? They, like me, believe him to be the chosen one. Times. Up. I sense there's something here. The army has assembled Count Dooku. The Mon Calamari system must not fall into Separatist hands. All troops, battle stations! This isn't gonna be easy. We'll disintegrate for sure! Suck it up, shiny. I will attack the Daphnis. <laughs> I will return, mother. I want you. I don't work for free. Long have Sith Empire has been built upon the backs of slaves. Anakin has struggled to put his past behind him. I'll keep an eye on him. Bow down, Jedi Fifth. Welcome to Death Watch. All right, Mike, you ready to start off the recap? Here we go, here we go. Asajj Ventress finds herself lost and alone after Count Dooku orders the extermination of her Night Sister clan. Forced into exile, Ventress wanders far into the Outer Rim. Among the castaways and vagabonds of the galaxy, seeking her new life that was foretold by Mother Talzin. And Asajj is, uh, Mike, she's been forced into exile, like it says here. She's, uh, she's fled. She's been out for a while. Uh, now she's got mm-hmm. this, you know, she ended last episode kind of like out in the open, you know, nothing, no ties to anything now. 
And, uh, yes. you know, she's got a new path, as Mother Talzin told her last episode. She, now she's seeking out this new path. I had a feeling that her character and her art could change. And I still have an idea of that. And we'll talk about this at the end of the episode. But uh, this is a wow, what a different episode this was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, totally switching gears from last week. And I think uh, becoming one of the best episodes of the mm. series, which I wasn't expecting yeah. from this. And, and I honestly think this will be a better episode than, than the next two that we're going to get. There's going to be some awesome mm. stuff coming up with, with uh, Savage and Maul and Obi-Wan. Yeah. Some stuff that we're really going to enjoy. But I think we kind of know what to expect from that. Whereas with this episode, I, I did not expect what we got. And it kept me guessing right until the last second. Mm. Uh, like, literally, the last second of this episode, I was still going, what are they yeah. doing? What's going on with this character? Yeah. And where are they going with this? What are we going to see in the future? So um, uh, just because of that, I, it, it's it's become one of my favorite episodes of the series. And... and Beyond that, it's also got, you know, it, it's got uh, Boba and uh, Bosk being a total, total B.A. mofo <laughs> in this movie, in this yeah. episode. I mean, like, he is, he's hardcore, and I, I never really had any feelings one way or the other toward Bosk previous to this, you know. Uh, and, and I know we've seen him on the series before, but he hasn't really done a ton uh, before this episode, and then in this episode, we really get to see him kick some butt, wipe the floor with some dudes, and uh, and be a really cool character. Um, and then we also get a little bit of Dengar and and some other characters uh, that that we haven't ever seen before. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I I really really enjoyed this episode. Uh, just for for all of the really cool things that it did, and it sort of it took Star Wars in a little bit of a different direction, like uh, Clone Wars is apt mm-hmm. to do uh, on a on a regular basis. But uh, sometimes they they hit and sometimes they miss when they do that. And this is one of the instances where they where they really hit. You know, like this is another episode up in the ranks of, of trespass, uh, bounty hunters. Uh, uh, you know the 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 entire uh, rookies trilogy, um, the Night Sister trilogy, all of that stuff that really shows what these guys are capable of, and uh, and one of the things that I love is that it tells a complete story from beginning to end in the half yeah. an hour, um, and that's going to contradict what I'm going to say uh, at the end of the season when we sort of do a, a season recap. But because uh, I have some some other feelings towards where where I would like them to go in season uh, five, six, mm-hmm. and onward. But uh, as far as the half hour format goes, this episode, along with an episode like Trespass or Bounty Hunters, I mean, I think that they're three of the the ones that really show what an amazing story you can tell with these characters in twenty two minutes. And uh, and really, you know, uh, make us feel something, and and also give us some really great action, and some amazing locations, creatures, mm-hmm. ships, 
I, I just all of that stuff that makes Star Wars worth being a oh. fan of and, uh, and makes Clone Wars worth watching. So I, I think it does all of that stuff in this episode. But oh, let's, yeah. uh, let's get on with the recap so we can talk about some okay. specifics. Uh, Asajj disembarks from a refugee transport on the desert planet of Tatooine and wanders into a seedy cantina to drown her sorrows. She draws the attention of a rude alien patron, but cuts off his unwelcome advances with a lightsaber through the torso. Which, I mean, like, this is this is one of the things, this was one of the preview clips that we got to see uh, uh, early last week. Uh, and um, it's, you know what cantina it is, right? Uh, it's it's the one and only. We're clearly in Mos Eisley. Was it? Because I wasn't uh, sure. Is that right? Oh, it's... I think it's pretty clear that it's supposed to be most icy so, because yeah. because it's a it's a cantina full of bounty hunters, right? right? Yeah. So, um, and as we're gonna see in a second, I mean, it's this it it's a flip reverse upside down version of Obi Wan and Luke walking oh, yeah. in to the cantina, and uh, I like we'll get to that in a second and 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 sort of where where this goes, but that whole. Him coming over and, and sort of being like, "Hey, how's it going?" and and her being like, "Back off, leave me alone. You you really don't want any part of this. Just walk away now." And she gives him a warning, and he just keeps going. And she's like, "Okay, you asked for it," and just uh, you know, right through the chest. And then the best part is when everybody laughs and claps. Yeah, right after, <laughs> right? Like the okay, so. That to me says most Eisley. because I think if you were in most Espo or one of the other settlements on Tatooine, people would be like, "Oh man, you know, we're just moisture farmers, you know, we don't want any mm. trouble." But in most Eisley, the most wretched hive of scum and villainy you're likely to find, uh, that's just par for the course, mm. right? Well, that's what I got out of it too. Is you got that shades of of a new hope there, and and just like you said, you know, you, yeah. this is what I love about the cantina scenes in Star Wars universe. You know, they they remind me of like the the western. You know, you got the bar, the bands playing, the music, whatever, the cocky patrons uh, who think they can, you know, just run in the place. You know, and, and again, this is why I think it's it's probably the cantina as well. Um, just like you said, she she stabs him, you know, and and it was a, a cool scene. Everybody looks for a second. And it's like, okay, back to what you're doing. You know, just an, just another yeah. killing in the Star Wars universe, you know, in, in, in the canteen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, well, just well. go about your business. Yeah. Move along. <laughs> and, yeah, so that was, yeah. That, was, that, was, that was a great scene. And, and we got a new look for Asajj in this particular episode, too. Yes. A very cool design as well. Uh, and probably, in my opinion, her best design yet. Yeah, fantastic. So, so uh, Asajj is called back. Uh, to a back booth by a bounty hunter's Bosque in Lats Razi. They like Vent- Ventress's style and forcefully invite her to join the group since she just killed their partner, Oakhead. Ventress, with no direction, with no other direction, decides to go along with the hunters. What do you want? I'm Bosque. And this is Lotserazi. We are bounty hunters, and... We have a problem. Hmm. What kind of problem? You just killed one of our team. Sorry about that. So, where did you get the lightsabers? Stole them. 
Bounty hunter, then? No. Ever considered it? You certainly have the right... disposition. Never thought about it. Does it pay well? Very well. We have a job to do, and you owe us a man. Join our merry band of bounty hunters, or we turn you over to the authorities. And I like how Asajj tells Boss that and Arazi that she she stole the lightsabers, you know. And and Boss thinks she's a bounty hunter, you know. Asajj says, "No, I'm not a bounty hunter." So I'm wondering, you know, is she is she kind of playing it? She's kind of playing it safe right now. She, you know, she's on this new path. So, uh, you know, she could have easily, you know, left the bar with force if needed. You know, she, she knows, she, she knows the dark side, you know, a little bit, and yeah. she could have forcefully got her way out, no problem. But uh, I think she's open to what Bosk has to to offer. Again, she's on this new path, so she decides, hey, what the heck? Let's let's see what uh, let's see what bounty hunting is like. So, but yeah, it was a pretty cool scene, like you said, uh, shades of A New Hope and uh, Han and Chewie and Exchange and all that. So. Good stuff, good stuff. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, in a mosaicly slum, Bosk and Lats add Ventress to their merry band of bounty hunters, which include Dengar and the heavily armed droid C-21 High Singer. Leading the troop is the teenage Boba Fett. Ventress doesn't reveal her name and doesn't seem too keen on taking orders from one so young. Boba needs six bounty hunters to carry out an assignment, so he accepts Ventress into the group. It's a cool confrontation between these two characters because uh, Boba, the last time that we saw him was in the prison and uh, he was kind of low man on the totem pole at the mm -hmm. time, right? And I think, I mean, you know, the reason why is because obviously Cad Bane's around and when Cad Bane is around, I think everybody's low man on the totem pole as we saw in, in the whole uh, Rako Hardeen storyline uh, with him eventually becoming the leader of that that group of bounty hunters. So, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. everybody falls in line when, when Cat walks into a room, even yeah. Boba Fett. <laughs> so I, that's, that's one of the things that makes me love that character so much. But I, but I think that's, all, I think we're also going to find that, that Cad Bane is going to be one of those motivations to get Boba to the, uh, the the height that we know right. he's going yes. to get to as the greatest hunting bounty hunter in the galaxy and uh and this is just one one more step in that journey where we see him he's he's now uh he's he's i i don't remember in in the prison had he he had the shaved head, yeah his right? hair was real short yeah yeah so uh he's so he's got that shaved head he looks he's he's looking a little bit older uh i i think that i don't know if they've aged up his uh his mm -hmm. his mm -hmm. model his 3d model uh, at this point or if it's just that they've taken away the hair that makes him seem a little bit more uh intimidating a little bit older um a little bit closer to looking like one of the mm -hmm. clones um but but there is something about the character in this episode that uh that definitely bumps him up another level towards the Boba Fett that we know from the original trilogy. So uh, it's, it's a great confrontation between these two characters because we've got we've got Boba on his way up, and uh, and Asajj kind of on her way down, right? Like she's sort of she was a Sith apprentice, mm -hmm. 
last season. And then she sort of, she got bumped from Sith Apprentice to, I don't know if you would call it a Sith Renegade or something like that. But then uh, from there in exile, maybe a Sith exile, that sound that has a good, good ring to it. <laughs> uh, and then, and then to a night sister uh, and then within one episode from being reborn as a night sister, I uh, being an exiled night sister to where she is now, where she's kind of, she's, she's, going with these bounty hunters if they want to call her a bounty hunter then then she's not going to correct them but you can kind of tell she's still she's still she's not a bounty hunter and she's on her way this is just one one part of her path and so it's kind of it's it's a it's a ship's crossing in the night sort of thing right like like they're, they're gonna have this this moment where these two characters are on completely different paths are going to cross and then they're both going to go off and one uh because she's not in the the post prequel trilogy stuff like any of the the post uh, uh prequels um content whether it's the comics or the the movies or the books or anything like that so so uh if she is going to stay alive for any length of time she's looking like she's going to sort of fade into obscurity and and kind of uh, go down a different path whereas boba is on his way to info oh, yeah. right so so it's kind of it's cool that they're kind of they're crossing but on on almost opposite in opposite directions um and and you, there's there was a spark between those two characters that uh that i i, I don't know that we just i i don't think we've seen a lot of that with other characters, with the exception of maybe like Obi Wan and Anakin, and uh, and and uh, Ahsoka and and Lutz, uh, and a few of these other characters who have these really deep connections, um, and uh, and you know, but with a lot of them, we kind of know where things are going, right? Uh, particularly like Anakin and Obi Wan, Anakin and Padme, uh, uh, the Palpatine, and and uh, and the Jedi in general. Um, with the clone troopers even. Um, but, you know, these characters, we know where one's going and we have no idea where the other's going because her entire story at this point has been oh, thrown yeah. out the yeah. window. Because <laughs> I think that she's died about four times if you count all of the different continuities that she's died <laughs> in. So Yeah, no, I, I, it's a good point you made about the the crossing of the paths and and one's going one way and the other's going the other because, like you said, they she comes in and is like, who's this kid, you know? And he's like, yeah, I know I'm a kid, but wait, wait a minute. You don't know. You don't know what I can do, and we're going to see what what he can yes. do later on. And he's much more uh, adept and 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 a little bit more yeah. active than we've seen him. In the past. Yes, exactly. Not so much an observer like he was in in uh, maybe uh, the season two finale. Right, right, yeah, exactly. So we'll see him hold his own in this episode. And uh, you know, she says, "I don't take orders very well," but. Again, she falls in the line. She's playing it cool right now just to kind of, you know, keep the peace and we'll see what happens. And Oh, I forgot to say, too, that uh, Lotz Razi, uh, she was voiced by Claire Grant, who was the wife of Seth Green. Of course, Seth Green, we all knew who Seth Green is. So just a little tidbit there mm -hmm. if anybody didn't didn't recognize that. So, cool. Yeah, some good, it's good stuff, though. Like you said, great stuff between these two, and it's going to continue on as well. Yes. Uh, Boss, Boss's starship, the Houndstooth, Lands on a space station connected by a skyhook turbolift to the planet Corzite. 
It is a pressurized world where only subterranean caverns can offer escape from the crushing atmosphere that presents, uh, prevents starship transit. I love the fact that they brought a skyhook yeah. into 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 G level canon with yeah. this because because uh, we you know I the the skyhook come the concept of it comes from uh, Shadows of the Empire I believe uh, somebody can correct me if they know better than that but uh, Shizor has a, a skyhook that is his palace and command center um, that's connected to mm-hmm. his palace but it's his sort of it's his battle command center. And uh, and then there was a skyhook in the Force Unleashed, right. but to have it in official G level canon on the Clone Wars, uh, very cool because because the whole concept of a skylift or skyhook is uh, is is uh, a very cool concept that's a little bit different from the idea of a space station or uh, or, or you know the ships and and mm-hmm. that sort of thing and uh, and the whole concept of this planet being. So the atmosphere is so dangerous that you can't even land a ship. So you got to land on the skyhook and then travel down on the skyhook to the surface of yeah. the planet. Not even the surface, like the subterranean caverns of the planet. Uh, just uh, like this is the sort of thing that is Star Wars at its best. And it's it's exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about trespass in that mm-hmm. way. Uh, that it's let's take something that 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 takes five seconds to explain but is so interesting that we want to explore Mm -hmm. right like all like it takes no time at all for him to be like you know they're like oh you know why can't why can't we just fly ships down and it's like well because the 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 atmosphere is so dangerous and and pressurized that that you know your ship would just explode so we're going to take these turbo lifts down to the subterranean caves and we're going to take it by train. And it's like, now this is a world that's interesting to me, right? It's not just, you know, I like Mandalore, not that interesting other than the, the, the politics mm. of it, but I, or, and Camino, not that interesting. Yes. It's a planet entirely covered in water, but it's not like we went underwater. You're just on platforms mm. on, you know, on over the water. It's like an oil rig, you know, it's kind of, but that's not the focus of what's going on there. This is an instance where this world informs the story and the the story informs the world and this kind of goes back and forth and it has this nice interplay and uh, and trespass had the same thing with with uh, the political aspect of you know it's a moon that orbits a planet or or they're from a moon that orbits this planet. I can't remember exactly what it was, but like there was some sort of like that weird politics of like, do we own this or not? And, you know, these native people, uh, is, is it their land or can we claim it because we're a civilized society? And so the, the setting, the, the, the world allows for that interesting story to take place. And this is another one. It's like, why would you transport something by train in the Star yeah. Wars universe when you could do it by so many other means? But then it's like, well, here's the reason why. And then that also leads to this great location and uh, and the use of a skyhook and all of these other great things that we get to see that make it so Star Wars. But at the end of the day, it, it just goes right back and it informs the story so well. Yeah, I didn't so, even notice. I didn't uh, even notice that was even the skyhook because, you know, he land, they land 
And I'm thinking, wait a minute, he's saying they can't use ships, but didn't they just land the ship? So, mm-hmm. but but you're right though. I didn't even pick up on the on the, um, the skyhook until the second viewing. And uh, but yeah, what a what a cool concept. And like you said, it's it it really gives you something to uh, you know. It's like you said, it's it's something different and interesting. Yeah. You know, it's like wow, okay, this is a whole new aspect and. It makes so much sense when we get deeper in the episode um, of mm-hmm. what what they're going against. So, uh, go ahead, Mike. <clears throat> uh, the bounty hunters are greeted by Major Ragoso, servant to Lord Otua Blank. Blank has hired the posse to protect a very special cargo delivery as it travels through the Quarzite Caves via subtram to Blank's palace. The six hunters must guard against marauders who seek to hijack Blank's cargo. Ragoso leaves strict instructions to the hunters not to open the ornate box they are being paid to protect. That's funny here, you know. He, like you said, Boba and the team they meet uh, this Ragoso, and he's uh, he explains the mission. And he's and he's careful not to discuss the the pre- the precious yeah. cargo. You know, he just says, <laughs> "Yeah, deliver it." And and my mind's already running when he says, "Don't open the box." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a need to know basis, and they don't need to know, which makes us want to know so badly. And the whole time you're thinking, like, well, what yeah. is it, right? Or like, what is it? Is it a bomb? Is it gold or something? Like, is it some sort of a precious metal or or substance? Is it, you know, what like what could it be? And then you know, we'll we'll yeah, find, we'll find out, out soon. Enough. I was just wondering if 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 Boba knew what the cargo was, would that have changed his mind and? You know, yeah. you kind of get some hints in that later on in the episode, too. So, um, the subtram whips through the crystal lined caverns of Corzite. Before long, a squad of black clad Kagi warriors catches up to the speeding train atop their swift footed Milodons. Lats and Heisinger guard the box in the cargo hold. Boba and Boss protect the engine room, while Dengar and Ventress guard the rear car of the tram. So, we get introduced to these new um, foot soldiers. No. <laughs> yes. Pretty much. Well, you know, it's funny because Kage is actually the Japanese word for mm-hmm. shadow. So, and shadow warrior is actually the Japanese translation of the word ninja. So, it they are literally ninja. Like these yeah, are Star that's Wars exactly ninjas. Exactly what came to mind. So, like and and it was a, it's a clever way of of naming them so that they sounds a little bit more Star Wars and you're not just calling them ninjas. But uh, but that is that is what they. Oh are. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is, and I didn't point. know. I mean, I, that's the first thing that came to mind watching it was was ninjas. I'm a big fan of the martial arts genre and, and stuff like that. And they used, you know, they're 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 flipping around. They're using the martial arts. They're throwing smoke bombs, um, you know, stuff like that. So the only thing that was missing was you know throwing stars. But they didn't even have the katana style blade, you know. So yeah. definite definite. Uh, nod to the uh to the ninjas there um but it was cool you know and then here's a subtrain thing here's again this is what i get back to is it's like it's like back in the old west you got the train with the cargo on it it's it's rolling and you got you know the the cowboys running up to try to steal it you know kind of the same type of thing going on here just a different a little bit different of a train and and instead of horses they're riding on these giant beetle things (laughs) <laughs> instead yeah. of cowboys or ninjas so uh but still that's that's the kind of stuff i love so uh go ahead mike uh the kage warriors attack hooded assailants leap onto the k- caboose of the tram uh 
Asajj and Dengar fight them off, but as they brawl with the intruders, even more warriors leap onto the tram. Dengar warns the others that they are being overrun. Kage warriors smash through the windows of the cargo hold. Others leap into the engine room, armed with electrified short swords. The bounty hunters open fire with their blasters, but the agile Kage infiltrators duck and dodge past the deadly bolts. And you get a feeling, too, that Asajj, in the beginning of this, she's really holding back. She's using no lightsabers at all. Mm-hmm. She's not using the force at all. She's just using yeah. her combat skills uh, to fend off these uh, the Kage warriors. So um, again, mm-hmm. I don't know if again I don't know if she's trying to hide. You know, she doesn't want everybody to know that she has this certain power. You know, and I I think she's yeah. just you know if she can hold out without using the force, without using the lightsaber, she will do that to kind of keep her um, identity kind of on the down though. So I don't. What do you think about that? You think that was the case or? Uh, I think that she was just holding back until she needed it. Right, like it wasn't. Uh, uh, I, I don't think that she, there was any specific motivation mm-hmm. to it, uh, other than you know it's just not necessary. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, a few well placed kicks knocks Dengar off balance, and the bounty hunter tumbles over the rails of the sub tram. Boba rushes from the engine room to hold uh, to hold uh, the room of the hold to check their precious cargo. He arrives just as High Singer activates an extremely destructive combat mode that causes his upper torso to spin while he opens fire with his twin blasters. Many Kage warriors fall from the withering barrage. And you know, Mike, I forgot to mention, too, that here we see Boba in his new outfit. Yeah. And now, yeah, in different armor. It Actually, it looks kind of... Um, it looked a little bit like... The helmet? The armor that... that uh, like, a little bit like the helmet that... Um, Force Unleashed? Uh, well, yeah, a little bit like that, a little bit like the one uh, oh, Rako Hardeen mm-hmm. wears. Like the 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 mouthpiece almost looks kind of right. similar, um, and also a little bit like um, like Bausch from from Return of the Jedi, right? Like like uh, like Princess Leia's disguise mm-hmm. in Return of the Jedi. So I know, like it, it. It definitely had a lot of those different bounty hunters elements to it, because um, like the visor, I think also was a lot like the Reiko Hardin visor, uh, if I'm remembering it correctly. Yeah. But yeah, it looks like it, it sort of came from a lot of different places. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, very interesting design. I guess I should have done a little bit more research. Well, it just reminded me of when I saw it. It looked like the helmet that was used in. Uh, I think it's the Ultimate Sith edition of the Force Unleashed. God, just that's yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. it just bounced me right to that. But you know, that was. Uh, but it was cool though to see to see Boba gear up and and who knows how his uh, transition of the suit. Maybe maybe we'll get mm-hmm. to see. I don't know. You know, that's something. Yeah. Okay. So here we go. Here we got the concept art. I'm just looking at. I'm just gonna take a look and see if there's any sort of a a hint at it. But I. Uh, well, we can also just talk about uh, High Singer for a second because mm-hmm. he is a very, very cool character just from a design perspective. Um, it's kind of like a demon robot, right? Like he's kind of got, I don't know, just like this this really foreboding appearance that makes him just, he's just kind of scary, you know? Like there's just, and he doesn't, he speaks in that that sort of binary mm-hmm language of just like the those weird like modem type right. sounds and uh 
Yeah, it 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 was really he was just a really cool. Yeah, character. some great some great characters actually in this in this episode and some good yeah. good stuff going on. Uh, go ahead, Mike, your turn. Yeah, sure. Uh, sorry, I just lost my place. Uh, at the rear of the tram, Asajj is outnumbered by the attackers and calls for backup. Boba dispatches Bosk to help the rookie, but he's ambushed by Kage warriors and knocked out of the tram. The lead Kage warrior leaps onto the cargo car. The swift-footed combatant is able to toss aside Latsrazi and Highsinger, throwing them from the tram. He confronts Major Ragoso and demands that the cargo be turned over to him. When Ragoso refuses, the Kage leader throws a blade into his chest and kills it. They're boarding from the rear. I could use a hand back here. Hold your position. Bosk, get to the back and help the rookie. I'm on it. And I'll tell you what, that's a great bit of action in this scene during the tr- train takeover. You know, Baba is starting to show, mm-hmm. Boba is starting to show that he can hold his own, you know, and, and, and his skills uh, from the last time we saw him are, are starting to get a little sharper. And uh, Asajj, she's having to work a little harder in this, and she finally has to mm-hmm. take out the lightsabers and even use the force uh, a little bit. So, uh, and then again, like I said earlier, you get to see the ninja techniques, uh, they're using the dust. Uh, the katana type of swords, and uh, and then we see at the end um, these Kage warriors are pretty darn deadly. As mm-hmm. as uh, who was it that found out that got the sword right through the chest? Is uh, R- R- uh, it Ragoso? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he he gets killed. We just yeah, we just had yeah. that part, but yeah, yeah. Um, and well, this character, which we're gonna get a little bit more of this, the leader mm-hmm. of them. Uh, uh, Chrismo Pluma, his design again, like you know, like all of the these Kage warriors, just look fantastic. But his design in particular, uh, very reminiscent, and it's this sort of in the in the the trivia gallery on StarWars.com. But they they designed it to be reminiscent of some of the Obi Wan Kenobi concept design from Episode yeah. One, and. Uh, and you know, like until I noticed that here, it was like there is something so familiar about this character, <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I just couldn't place it. And then you see this art, and you're like, oh, so that's ex- like you can see exactly what oh, they were yeah. going for, and uh, and and that sort of informs a little bit of his character coming up. Yeah, that was the uh, was that the concept drawing by uh, Ian McKeg that he's yeah yeah. That, that's what yeah. I love about this. I mean, they're they're using. Like you said earlier about about McCoy, they're using all this old stuff that they don't yeah. use, and it's coming back. and And some of that stuff is so was so cool looking, you know. Oh, some of it's just so yeah. amazing. Some of that concept art. Um, yeah, I mean, we're gonna see it next week when 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 Maul comes mm. back, uh, and I guess we saw it a little bit with the design of Savajo Press. Right. Uh, that sort of harkened back to the original designs of Darth Maul, and he had sort of that really high collared. Uh, outfit 
on uh, that they later released as an action figure, calling it uh, Sith Battle Armor, mm-hmm. I think, but uh, or Training Armor, maybe. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, to to get to see these these concepts come back and be uh, used in in a setting that I think is a little bit uh, closer to to where you'd expect to mm-hmm. see them. Um, cause I think, I think sometimes in the, in the movies, they wouldn't have quite worked. Um, but in, in the clone wars, because of it being a computer animated series, uh, these design concepts work really well. Like uh, mother Talzin, for example, being a, the, the original design of, of a Sith witch, mm-hmm. um, right. playing perfectly into that. Right. It's a it's a concept design that I don't think w- they would have really pulled off all that well in the movies. It would have definitely looked CG and 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 uh, effectsy, right? Uh, like very very uh, uh, fake. But in the Clone Wars, it's completely believable because everything is CG. Right. So so uh, it's cool to see some of this stuff get its get its time to uh, definitely, shine. Definitely. Uh, entering the hole, the lead warrior battles his way past Boba Fett. He knocks Fett's twin blasters out of his hands and sends the teen sprawling with a well-placed kick. Fett tumbles over the cargo box, knocking it over. He is surprised when its contents spell out. It's a young girl, Pl- Pluma. Fett instinctively tries to protect her, but Pluma slaps him and runs to the Kage warrior's side. Uh, Pluma is reunited with her brother, Krismo, the lead Kage warrior. Krismo was attempting to rescue the captive Pluma. The cargo doors open and Asajj struts in. So this is when we sort of get, get the reveal of what was in that mm-hmm. box. Uh, and it was it was this young girl, kind of a, a, almost an alien Padme. Um, and, yeah. uh, and so now we're kind of like, and Boba's reaction is like, I had no idea that, that this is what we were transporting, exactly, yeah. you know, like I think, I think that a lot of us probably assumed that it was a weapon or, or something of that sort. And then to, to have this girl come out and then you sort of, you realize that this is her, this is her brother and, uh, his brother, right? Yes. The, yeah. And, uh, yeah, her brother and, uh, who, who's the bad guys right. here, right? Uh, and and you sort of have that moment where it could turn on its head. And the great thing is that these characters that we're dealing with right now, uh, that are our main characters, Asajj, Boba, Bosk, uh, they're not necessarily bad right. guys. They're bounty hunters. Uh, Embo, who we saw earlier in this episode, uh, just a brief cameo from him, we've now seen him on both sides of the mm-hmm. conflict, right? We've seen him... Working, I mean, we've seen him working with Obi-Wan in both instances, but one of them, he didn't realize it. Uh, but to see him working to defend these these people in, in uh, Bounty Hunters, and then working with this plot to kidnap the Chancellor in, in the, the uh, Reiko Hardeen story, that's what Bounty Hunters do. They, they flip sides. You never know what to expect from them. You can't predict how they're going to react in any given situation. And we see a little bit of that here because the second that Boba realizes exactly what it is they're, they've been hired to do, you can tell that there's, there's a 
there's oh, conflict, yeah. right? That, that he doesn't necessarily agree with it, uh, but he doesn't necessarily disagree mm-hmm. either. So very interesting. Right. And, and it, it really, like, it comes out in, towards the end of this episode. So Yeah, and they don't, they don't, like, in the beginning, it wasn't a, they're hiring these bounty hunters to go catch somebody. This was hiring bounty hunters yeah. to just transport something, you know, to take a bounty somewhere else. So just a little bit, yeah. a little bit different twist there, which is kind of cool too. Uh, the girl is worth a lot of money to the hunters. Assange ignites her lightsabers and orders Chrismo to stand aside. He sets off a smoke grenade and, under cover from the obscuring clouds, he attacks Ventress. After engaging in hand-to-hand combat, Assange knocks Chrismo down and shackles him. Uh, Pluma begs Asajj for mercy, saying how she was torn away from her family against her will and left on her own. These words resonate with Asajj on a deeply personal level, and she reconsiders her assignment. And that's exactly what I had written down in my notes, is that, first of all, Asajj, she, she ends the fight with some hand-to-hand combat and, and tapping a little bit into the force against Crismo, and Boba doesn't even see that because he's knocked out. So I think she might have used that. Oh, yeah. Boba's down. She won't, he won't see this. And then, again, Pluma, she's starting to uh, stir the emotions of Asajj is what I wrote down. And she's thinking about, uh, she was thinking about being alone. And uh, that could have been a turning point in, in Asajj, and especially in this episode, uh, was, was mm-hmm. the words from the young girl and to see Asajj kind of think about things and like, oh, wow, you know, I was there. So, uh Interesting mm-hmm. stuff right there. The Pluma begs Assage for mercy, saying how she was torn away from her family against her will and left on her own. These words resonate with us. Did we already read that? Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the tram arrives at Oda Blank's uh, stronghold. The loathsome warlord takes delivery of the cargo from Assage. He is eager to meet his new bride. Assage accepts the payment and departs aboard the tram as Blank opens the chest. He is shocked to find that his bride has been replaced with a bound and gagged Boba Fett. And I think we all saw that coming. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, man, these guys aren't too smart not checking the, the bounty before uh, they let... Before handing over the cash, <laughs> yeah. the credits. Did, did anybody else get a little bit of a vibe that, like, this guy, that Otua Blank... Like his his end game here is to, uh, I guess, wed the 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 young girl uh, Pluma and and then maybe like eat her or something, because because he's kind of a big dude and he kind of creeped me out a little bit and I was like, well, you guys aren't the same species and not even like in an instance where it's like Twi'lek and human where it's kind of you can tell there's kind of a compatibility there. This is like this is like bird whale fish man and uh uh, you know light light blue gray skinned girl yeah uh, that you know looks otherwise human and uh and that really weirded me out and i was like that was just the vibe that i got i'm not saying that that is what was going on but i was just like that's gross (laughs) like that's it's just it oh it was just so gross and i don't know i don't know off the top of my head who voiced uh, o to a blank, but but whoever did just in like that, I think like it, I think it was even just one line, 
and just the character's movements. It got across everything we needed to know about that character, and that's that we are supposed to be disgusted. (laughs) Right? Like, it's just, it's not supposed to be a good thing. I didn't get that quite that vibe, but disgusted, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll finish up here. Aboard the tram... Asajj sets Krismo and Pluma free in exchange for a sizable ransom from the Kage. She then returns to the orbital station where the other hunters have reunited. Ventress hands over their share of the bounty, Fets included, and lets them know that Boba will turn up eventually. She then parts ways with the hunters, intending to use her newfound fortune to start a new life for herself. You made it. I don't believe it. Here's the payments. I already subtracted my share. Boba's is in there too. Make sure he gets it. Where is he? He'll turn up. Well, you certainly turned out to be quite the member of the team, didn't you? I'm not part of any team. You're too good for us now. Is that it? No. Once I was just like you. But I'm not that person anymore. Now, I have a future. Wow, Mike, I don't know. This ended up again like last week. I'm just thinking, whoa. You know, it's uh, even, you know, what's funny is I was sitting there watching it for the second time, taking some notes down, and the wife was sitting there with me, and she saw the end of that, and she goes, uh, is, she, is she good now? And, uh, you know, I said, you know what? I don't know. We don't know yet. You know, it's a, a thought-provoking way to end this show or this, this yeah. particular episode. And, uh, yeah, she says I have uh, – she now has a future. And, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say uh, that it's, it's up in the air where they're going to put this character. And, you know, does she go good? You know, even when she's talking there at the very end, you can could, you could just tell just the way her she's talking and, her, and the tone of her voice sounds different, you mm-hmm. know? She's not that gravelly, mean person. Um, so, wow, I don't know. What do you think about this ending? Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, oh, it's it's so interesting, uh, the way that they end this episode, and it just kind of it's kind of dangling there, like what's gonna happen yeah. with with the character of Asajj Ventress. Um, and in my opinion, she's never been this interesting in any incarnation as she was in this episode. So even though I know I, I was probably pretty negative about last week's episode, maybe a little bit more than it deserved, but um, yeah, it just didn't, it just didn't hit with me. But if that's the episode that you have to tell in order to get the character to this place, then all is forgiven because where they've put the character now is is the most interesting place that they've put any of the characters in this series. Um, and, and, you know, there, there's a couple of characters that stand out as really being just such amazing characters in the Clone Wars. Uh, Cad Bane is one of them. Uh, definitely uh, Rex is an interesting character. We've gotten to see a lot of him and, and how he feels about the war and the galaxy and the Jedi and, and all these sorts of things. Um, and, uh, and now Asajj Ventress is sort of in there. I, I mean, previous to this, maybe with the night sister trilogy, she was a little bit more interesting than, than some of these other characters. But I mean, really previous to this, I, I was holding her on the same level as a character like Grievous, 
who really isn't that interesting. I think we know everything that we need to know about him. Uh, he just shows up, he serves his purpose, and then he leaves. I mean, he was like he was in the last episode. There was no character development there, and there doesn't need to be character development there. He's a he's a machine with a monster's heart, and and he serves his purpose as as this aspect of of what becomes Darth Vader, right? Um, I don't know if I've ever talked about that on on front lines before. That we have like the three characters, the three evil characters that uh, from the prequels that make up the different aspects of Vader. Because you have the demon in Darth Maul, mm-hmm. right? You have like that monster, and then you have the 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 fallen man in Dooku, and then you have the machine uh, in in grievous and you put all three of those things together and you end up with darth vader right um which is just such amazing writing and anybody who tries to tell me that that uh those characters aren't interesting in any way they haven't paid attention to the movies but uh but asajj has just leapfrogged uh all but dooku because dooku is such an interesting character if you've read any of of the the expanded universe stuff to do with him um Oh, the one with, the one with uh, with Yoda, and Dooku, uh, from the Clone Wars, uh, expanded uh, universe. Yeah, the expanded universe one. The is, I can't remember the title of it. Uh, I'm drawing a blank though. I don't know. It's like Dark Rendezvous or something like that. Mm. I think. Um, that that's a story that that tells this great perspective from both Yoda's perspective and Dooku's perspective of of that character, uh, and really goes uh, into a deep place with him. But but I think other than Dooku and Palpatine, uh, Asajj has just in this episode leapfrogged all of the other villains that we've had so far into having the most interesting story. And definitely, I think of all of the characters that that have gotten their their moment in the spotlight. Uh, that that we didn't necessarily know anything about or didn't exist previously, Asajj has just become the most interesting one of them. I mean, it's it's uh, it's an arc that I feel was a little bit rushed in the last episode mm-hmm. to get her to the point that she was at at the beginning of this one. But this episode lays the groundwork for some really really good storytelling to come. Uh, I hope they don't mess that up by just making her. I don't know. Mm-hmm. A Jedi, or like you know, a wannabe Jedi, or, or something like that. Like I hope that there's a little bit more development that we can take some time with this character's story. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, th- this is an excellent start. Oh yeah, an excellent start. Yeah, I def- definitely thought this episode was uh, a lot better than the last one, and and just some of the action and some of the the old illustrations from Ian McKay coming back to be used again. Um, yeah, just. Yeah, it was it was all that, good. That hopefully we'll see more of. I, I don't know that we'll ever get to see Crismo mm. uh, again, no. but uh, I would like it if we did. I in in just this really short time that we got to know that character, I uh, I found him really interesting, mm. uh, just from a design perspective, and then uh, pretty good, pretty good uh, voice acting there by Ben Diskin, who is also the voice of that Otua Blank character. So. There you go. That's kind of funny. It's one of the great things about this show uh, is when you get one guy, he voices 
uh, a hero and a villain in the same episode <laughs> on two opposite ends yeah. of of the storyline. Um, yeah. So very very cool to get something like that. I mean, and D. Bradley Baker doing Bosk, Tom Kane uh, as Major Ragoso, and uh, uh, Oked as well as the narrator, of course. Uh, Simon Pegg as Dangar. He was pretty mm-hmm. good. Not too not too bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Nika Futterman kind of knocked it out of the park with this yeah. one. Just such a great performance for that character. But when you get that kind of uh, writing, it's uh, it's, it's always easy, good yeah. when, when yeah when you've got a lot to work yeah. with. So and yeah, I think that was uh, Star Wars Yoda Dark Runaway. That was the Clone Wars novel you were talking about. So you're yes. right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So great stuff. And uh, only two more to go. Two more to go. So. Uh, Two more left in the season. <laughs> yeah, it's coming down to the wire here, man. Let's uh, head on over to the mailbag and see what's going on. Let's do it. Wait a minute. Play back the entire message. Where are those transmissions you intercepted? He is carrying a message from an Obi-Wan Kenobi. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. I saw part of the message. He w- I seem to have found it. All right, Mike, you want to take the mailbag and I'll take the Facebook? Yeah, okay. sure. Uh, so here we go. Uh, this is our piece of mail from Scott. Uh, I'm not even going to try Zolata? and pronounce his last name. Yeah, Zolata. Is that what you, that's what you're going to go with? That, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I love what you do, and you should keep going with your excellent reviews and show reviews. I like to hear your opinion on the show because I watch it every week, and I will always love Star Wars, and I am an Obi fan. Uh, if you could mail me back, that would be nice. So I have bragging rights with my friends. We all listen to you every week. And so I would like to know if you if you know any news on Star Wars Battlefront 3 and if it has a release date. Thanks for reading, and I love your podcast. That's from Scott. Uh, Scott, no. <laughs> we have no news about Battlefront 3. There's always been rumblings. <laughs> Since a couple yeah. years ago. Uh, a couple of years ago, I, they, there was a Battlefront three um, that that was in development, but the company that was developing it went bankrupt. Uh, I think that was in two thousand eight or two thousand nine. Yeah. No. And uh, and the the game kind of died with them. So I I don't think we're gonna see another Battlefront. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, like there was the one for the PSP that was developed by a different company. Um, and it is obviously a, a really popular uh, series with the, with the star Wars community. Um, I tell you, I don't know. Uh, Lucas arts is kind of funny like that though, because they, they also uh, canceled the force unleashed three um, and left that second game with a huge, huge cliffhanger. Oh, I know. Yeah. So, uh, follow through not always the best when it comes to Lucas Arts, mm-hmm. but yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah, you never know. I mean, it's uh, you hear every once in a while you hear a rumor come out about somebody doing Battlefront Three. So uh, we haven't heard anything solid though. Um, and believe me, if we did, we would we would definitely talk about it on this show. I, and and I tell you, I'm still waiting for my uh, Republic Commando yeah. sequel. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, don't worry about you know having bragging rights if we if we mail you back. Hey, just tell them to listen to the show and you can yeah. get bragging rights right there. Totally. There you go, Scott. Thanks for the 
for the uh, mailbag. That's good stuff. Facebook post of the week comes from Tim Garashi. And this is in response, Mike, to last week we talked about how to watch the shows, uh, the, the six movies. The movies and he yeah. says, after listening to the latest show and hearing the email about which order to watch the movies in, it got me thinking about what would be the better twist to have people who have never seen Star Wars experience for the first time. The twist of a good person like Anakin going to the dark side and becoming Darth Vader, or the twist that Vader is Luke's father. I think they're both great and always have a hard time deciding which one I would rather have someone experience. Because as we all know, they can't experience both. What do you guys think is the better twist and what would have, or what was the better twist that would have the biggest impact on someone who has never seen Star Wars? And of course, you know my point. Um, I got to go with the episode five reveal, of course. And the only reason I say that mm-hmm. too is because he's talking about the twist thing. It's a little different. You know, should you, should you yeah. watch it through and see, wow, Anakin, he turns into a bad guy? Or is it knowing it out of uh, having it a shock value? And I just think that maybe yeah. you might, if you watch one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever, that you might um, notice that Anakin's starting to fall. And by the time you see him go to the dark side, it's going to be like, oh, yeah, you kind of saw that coming. Be- uh, you know, his anger and how they talk about it throughout the movies. You know, he's be mindful of your thoughts mm-hmm. and he was taken too late and this and that. I don't know. What do you think, Mike? Uh, it, I don't know. It's an interesting perspective. And we're sort of back discussing this again and, and uh, with this new sort of twist, uh, uh, twist yeah. on it. And uh, I don't know. It's interesting because... Uh, from the one perspective, I can see it, uh, where you know you, you get this character who starts as a young boy and uh, and then becomes a Jedi and has a lot of issues and then turns to the dark side. Just and the thing is, is that like we see the issues in Episode Two, but then we come back in Episode Three and he he appears to be doing so well, right. and and you know he has his couple of little outbursts about like you know while I should be on the council. Uh, uh, you know how it's ridiculous that, that I'm not a master, uh, all that sort of stuff. But uh, I think fairly uh, relatable outburst, um, and then to have him turn and do what he does, turn to the extent that he does that quickly, which is a twist for that character. Um, whether you want to call that good writing or bad writing is up to you, but it's a huge twist for that character. Um, and then to continue watching four, five, six. And, uh, and I think the, the interesting part there is not so much that twist, but then when you get to four and Luke finds Obi-Wan, or rather Obi-Wan finds Luke, I guess, and, uh, and they're sitting in Ben's uh, hovel, and, and Ben has that moment of, like, I, you know, I, your, your father was once a great friend of mine, and uh, Jedi Knight, and, until he was betrayed and murdered by Darth Vader and I think that from the perspective of someone who hasn't seen the movies before that would be a really interesting scene just like it was for those of us who you know saw episode four for the first time and were like oh the Clone Wars what is that and then you know it but from this perspective you've seen the Clone Wars or at least a portion of it uh whether you've seen the series or not I guess um you you would have seen more, but 
just to have, have experienced at least that sequentially what happens with that character. And then to have Obi-Wan, you know, the last time we saw him, he was sort of, uh, uh, emotionally and reluctantly mm-hmm. killing his his best friend, his brother, and uh, and well, you know, like leaving him there to die, uh, and then to have that because you know, all at once we're getting the information both that that uh, Obi Wan knows that Vader is still alive, right, um, and then also like, but why is he lying to Luke about it? Mm. Why isn't he telling him the truth? Why wouldn't you just tell him the truth? Why are you lying, right? You're supposed to be the hero, Obi-Wan. Like, <laughs> why would you do that? But then you'd go into Empire with with more of that that like those those just those little threads going like, well, okay, now Yoda's mentioning it, but not giving him the full story. Why are they keeping this from him? And then you'd get to the cave. And I think that would be the moment where you're like that, like that would be such a powerful moment if you know the backstory, right? As opposed to us, where where we see it and we're like, what is? But what does that yeah, mean? Yeah, why is yeah right? What the, like that means? Okay, he's got the capacity to become Vader, or you know, he is Vader on the inside. Vader is no different than he mm-hmm. is. So, like you know, it, the temptation is is that that easy. But when you've seen the prequels and you've seen what happens to Anakin, I think that you have that perspective going like that's that's the legacy of the Skywalkers. And as Luke becomes more powerful, his the 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 path becomes more and more narrow and and he can't falter because if he does, he'll go down the same path that his father went down. And I think that that moment in the cave, would be so incredibly powerful as a story point. Oh yeah. For the whole saga. If you're watching it with that in mm-hmm. mind and you're going like, what's going to, cause you don't know what's going to happen to Luke. Right? right. So you'd get that and then you'd get him going, you know, then getting the vision of, of, uh, of everyone in cloud city and going, I have to go, I have to go. And Yoda and Obi-Wan going, don't go, you can't, you're not ready to face Vader. And that mirroring Mace Windu saying to Anakin, you can't come, you can't face Palpatine. If he is the Sith Lord, you're already way too involved and, and you need to step back from this situation and stay out of it because the, you know, like bad things will happen if you Mm -hmm. don't. And we, of course, know what happens when he doesn't stay out of it, right? So you'd ha- you'd also have that information. And as Obi-Wan and Yoda are saying, Luke, don't go do this, he- you'd be going like, oh, no, he's making the same mistakes that Anakin made. And then, you know, he gets his hand cut off. And you're like, oh, no, Anakin got his hand cut <laughs> off when he was too too confident and and ran into a fight that he couldn't handle. And then you'd come back with Return of the Jedi and he's in all black all of a sudden. Yeah, you're like, whoa. Right? And he's choking these the the Gamorians and he's threatening uh, uh, Jabba. And he's not really acting like a Jedi, right? Like, he's not acting like a good guy entirely. He's definitely acting heroic, but 
I wouldn't call him a paragon, that's for sure, right? Like he's not he's not at the height of what a good guy would do. Uh, it's not it's not necessarily what we we would expect Obi Wan to do in that situation, right? Um, especially if you've watched the Clone War series, you're gonna be looking at that and going like, "Well, Luke's kind of become a bit of a badass, oh, yeah. right? Like, like, wow, that 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 really affected him." And then you get to the end of Jedi, and you get the Emperor saying like, "Oh, you know, come on, come to the dark side, and you know, you'll be so incredibly powerful. We'll destroy the entire galaxy and take it over and rule and." do all of the evil things that we can do and you're like it's happening again mm-hmm. you you'd be expecting you that that you'd be hanging on that moment whereas i think those of us classic trilogy viewers would be why we watch it and we go well of course luke's gonna do the right thing he's luke skywalker mm-hmm. right well like, he destroyed the death star he he fought vader and survived he's he's confronted Vader knowing that it's his father. He's the hero of the story. We know that. This is his moment to to do the right thing and redeem his father all at the same time. That's what's going to happen. But if you've you know, you, you sort of once burned on the prequel trilogy, I think that you'd be almost reluctant and a little bit scared of like, oh no, it's going to happen again with Luke. Mm-hmm. Right? So you'd have that. I, I think the suspense would be there a little bit more. So mm-hmm. So that's interesting. That's my perspective on that. I've, that's I. I just went through like all six movies. <laughs> I did. I know. I, serious. That's uh. I'd love to just hear though of somebody who hasn't an experiment. Yeah. Man, it'd be so cool to see the differences and how it would turn out for somebody if watching it one way as opposed yes. to the other. You know, I, I think it was last week somebody said they were going to do that. So hopefully we'll get uh, our mailbag last week. Uh, hopefully they will do that and let us know what kind of yes. impact because that's 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 a good little uh, sociological experiment maybe that somebody can do. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's a it's a great study in storytelling and filmmaking. Yeah. Like, I George Lucas's decision to to tell the story out of order and how does that affect the, the story. story exactly? Because you know? because I think that it's almost to it's it's to the benefit of the classic trilogy and the detriment of the prequels. And I think that that's one of the reasons why there's just this huge gap for a lot of fans in, in uh, regards to, to their perceived quality of the prequels compared to the, uh, the, the, the classic original trilogy. Because uh, the original trilogy is really the meat of that story, and the prequels are the setup. Because you also have to remember that there was a 7, 8, 9, which would be the the fulfillment of that story mm-hmm. right so uh, the second act is always 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 the best oh. part of the story and if you look at it the classic trilogy is the is the second act of that three act <laughs> saga that he originally planned and then empire is the second act of that second act second act <laughs> yeah. and so it's almost like it, it, i think that's why empire is so good because it's this concentrated second act mm-hmm. right it's the the entire galaxy is in turmoil and and engulfed in darkness and in the midst of that our heroes who are the one shining light also become engulfed even further in darkness it, it, it overtakes them cuz it's just so all encompassing and that becomes such an interesting story 
they, they, that's why Empire is probably as good as it is, just from that structure alone. I like that. The second act of the second act. Yes, it is. <laughs> I don't know. George says that he never had 789. What do you think? You think you're really... Well, he, he had them planned because uh, I was in the room when Mark Hamill talked about it. Oh, that's it, right. Oh, yeah. And he said, you know, when, I, when, when, he, when they finished one, they, George sat him down and they had a conversation about, you know, well, four, I guess, and about five and six. And then he also told him the story of one, two, three. And then he told him the story of seven, eight, nine, where in seven, eight, nine, Luke has become like they, they, what he would do is they tell the story of four, five and six. And then they take a break and they tell one, two, three. Mm-hmm. And then they take another break and they tell seven, eight, mm-hmm. nine, by which point Mark Hamill would be a little bit closer to the age that Alec Guinness was when they filmed four, five, and six. And now Luke has become Obi-Wan and, mm-hmm. and he takes on that role of mentor and teacher and, that's the story that gets told. So, I mean, you know, that's straight from Mark Hamill. So yeah. maybe we could see Dave Filoni work on that someday. Oh, maybe. Uh, who knows? We'll get that would be fantastic <laughs> when they get done with the Clone <laughs> yeah. Wars. Yeah. Here's, you know, it would just fly in the face of all of the EU that exists. And oh, I don't think uh, that they'll do it because of that, even though what they've done with the Clone Wars has flown in the face of a lot of that EU. Um, yeah. The classic trilogy characters are a little bit more sacrosanct, oh, yeah, I think. Definitely, definitely. So I don't think that you can can mess with them as much, mm-hmm. but we'll, we'll see. see. Yeah, I would. Definitely. I would. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, we got to get to next week's episode. It is entitled "Brothers," and this is it, man. This is the one we've all been waiting for. The Dark Warrior Savage Press is on a quest to find his long lost brother. Could Darth Maul truly be alive after more than a decade? since his gruesome bisection at the blade of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Savage voyages into the depths of a twisted planet to find whatever became of the fallen Sith Lord. So, Mother Talzin is back. What do you think? Yeah. yeah. There's the answer to our questions from last <laughs> week. She is alive. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Was it an apparition or was that actually... Uh... No, she didn't have the green mist. Like, there was definitely green mist in the room mm-hmm. with her. But she wasn't... She didn't look like she did at the end of of uh, Massacre. Right. So, uh, if she's she's alive, she's just uh, gone into hiding, I yeah, think. Interesting. So. so that's what's going to happen next week. Now, do we know this? Is this a one-hour finale, or is it broken up into two weeks? It's it's two weeks as far as okay, I know yeah. uh, from the last time that I checked, and we can, we can check again really quick. But uh, as far as I'm aware, 
it is going to be a half hour this week and a half hour next okay. week. Uh, I'd rather have it that but, way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so would I. Uh, because I don't want to be finished that no. soon. Uh, it, the, the, the season is ending really quickly. Yeah, last air date, March 16th. So that would put us okay. at next week. Um, right. But yeah, only only two episodes left, right. and they're going to be a doozy. Yeah, that's it. Looking forward they're to it. There, so. That's going to do it for this week, though. Yeah, that's it. Uh, thank you guys for listening. As always, you can check us out online at www.clonewarspodcast.com. You can follow us over on the Twitter at username clonewars, twitter.com slash clonewars. And uh, you can jump on the Facebook and join our page. And then from there, you can find the group. Uh, so that's facebook.com slash Clone Wars podcast. And you can mail myself and Matt at mail at Clone Wars podcast.com. Yes. Just send it right in. And uh, hopefully you will get read on the air uh, in an upcoming episode. So then you'll get bragging rights. That's uh, yes. A- apparently that's a commodity that can be traded in. Got to have the bragging rights. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, that's going to do it for us this week. So we will see you next week. See you later. Well, another close to another wonderful show. Obi-Wan Kenobi here saying thank you for listening to Frontlines, the Clone Wars podcast. Brought to you, of course, by StarWarsDaily.com. The force is strong with you all. And it will be with you always.